0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. They're too perfect. It's disgusting. I can't, can't handle it. Um, yeah, and there's no need to elaborate on that. Let's get our free tickets to the men's breakfast. Let's, I mean, those, those guys are going to, like, there's no way... I could ever in my life speak about parenting the way that they can. So I'm looking forward to sitting under it myself. Uh, Yet My brother, he was dressed up like Santa Claus in one of those pictures. So, I mean, if that's not a reason to trust him, then I don't know what would be. Why don't we all stand to our feet as we read today's gospel text? Famous story in the gospel. They're all famous, but this is a famous one amongst many famous ones. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, Jesus said to him, now listen to this interchange here, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool When the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, and they omitted this part, that's not the question I just asked you. He said, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would just anoint this room all over the place, so that we would receive something so that we may give something. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. It is now the cultural beginning of summertime, and how many people are happy the weather is what it is outside? This is absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And so I've been thinking of this season. I, for some reason, I'm a fall guy. I'm kind of a winter guy. My wife has been a summer girl forever and so she's kind of converted me into being a summer guy. As you can see, I've been out there a little bit. I don't have much of a covering, so it hurts to be out there. Last night I was thinking about this idea. This this what I feel to be a prophetic word for us to enter a season. And last night I had 3 dreams the exact same dream three different times. And all I could remember from them is that each time I was in a room that was loud and chaotic and I woke up. All three times, I had three consecutive dreams that I was in a room and it was loud and it was chaotic. It didn't feel violent. It didn't feel like something was wrong. It just felt loud and it felt chaotic. Like there was, there was a little bit of confusion in the room. And I woke up all three times. And this morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit continued to speak to me about what we will be discussing for the duration of the summertime, which is this idea that where our physical bodies may feel rested sometimes, I feel in my gut, I feel in my soul that for many of us, it is much easier to get our body to relax than it is to get our mind to relax. That even when we slow down, there's still noise and chaos, and it's not necessarily wrong. Ian and I were laughing this morning. Sometimes we're working, and our landscaping company is mowing the lawn outside, and you don't realize that the lawnmower was on until they shut it off. There's a moment where it shuts off, and you're like, oh, wow, that was on. It just got really quiet because there's a point where we get used to loud noise, and it starts to not sound like noise anymore, but it is, and it's distracting us. We just don't know. And I really felt like there's lawnmower noise going on in many of our hearts and in many of our minds. And this summer, we have, to, we have to hear how it feels to have that lawnmower shut off, to have that click, and not just be able to sit down in a chair and relax, but to actually have our minds sit in that chair with us and relax. Healing and growth will come when we enjoy ourselves. Healing and growth will come when we learn to enjoy ourselves. And we understand this, that the Bible talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. So it's not enough to just say, enjoy ourselves. We want to enjoy ourselves in a way where a million years from tonight, we would still be allowed to enjoy ourselves that way. Okay? I must be the only one who enjoys myself in bad ways. Everyone else... Over spiritualized church, we have here. This is good. Sabbath enjoyment is the kind of enjoyment that I want to talk about a little bit today, but for the rest of the summer. I want to talk about the fact that I think God wants to lean into this church and teach us how to enjoy ourselves. Teach us how to set work down and enjoy ourselves. Teach us how to enjoy ourselves when work isn't going very well. Any kind of work, work at work. The work of relationships, the work of parenting, the work of pastoring, the work of loving, the work of being patient. Can I get a witness? Like that could be the most laborious kind of work, right? When, when all of that's not going well, there, we still have to be able to enjoy ourselves. If we can only enjoy ourselves when things go well, we're going to begin to worship things going well. And we are going to miss out on the vast majority of Jesus' life and the life of those around us and the life of the Spirit. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, and it's where I derive why we tithe, and it's Jacob when he's on the run, and finally he has a vision, and he sees the ladder, and Jesus, and angels are ascending and descending, sermon for another time, but one of the things he says in the middle of his chaos, as he sleeps and has a vision, he says, surely this is the house of God, and I did not know it. Right where I am, wherever I am, is the house of God. And in the middle of his chaos, he sees it while he rests in chaos. We need that kind of surprise in our life. Some of us, the biggest issue we have is that we believe too much. We believe too well. And therefore, God isn't new to us. He's not surprising to us. He's not, like Randall said last week, he's not pushing our minds to have to recultivate a beginner's mind. We we're spiritual experts to our own detriment. And so he's not exciting anymore. He's, God is just a thing that we have to do, a system that we function in because we know it's right. But he stops being romantic, or we stop feeling him as romantic. So for the whole summer, we were going to do a midweek Bible study in the book of Romans. And as Ian could tell you, I get very grumpy when I'm studying, and I just don't feel it click. Um, And it it can get tumultuous. I mean, there's three of us that work here, and one of us can ruin it for the other two. So please pray for Jacqueline. She'll, no, I'm just kidding. I tried to study for this series, for this uh, Revelation series, and it just wasn't clicking. And finally, I, I, I literally slammed my hand down on the desk last week, and I walk outside, and the Spirit says, you're not supposed to do one this summer. I said, like, yes, but I, I already told people I was going to, and this is what we do in the summer. We do Bible studies. And the Holy Spirit's like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Thank you for trying to inform me, but no. And I, I had this sense that we need to sort of release ourselves from official church events for the entire summer. And can I tell you, not, not Sundays. God, no, not Sundays. <laughs> People are like, that's it, let's go, let's go, let's go, kids, we're out of here, sunscreen on already. Um, we need space to be with each other in unofficial ways, because that's when it's meaningful. When you don't have to get together and you do, that's when magic happens. You can hear a lot of wonderful things in this room. Somebody's out, they're like, he said, we don't have to be here, Goodbye. We can hear a lot of wonderful things in this room. I'd like to think that we do hear a lot of wonderful things in this room. But nothing is better than the conversation you have out in the parking lot until midnight with somebody by your car. Nothing is better than those. My life has been sustained by those. We had a long elder meeting here one night. And Elder Paul and I, we went out to our cars. It was actually drizzling and it was kind of cold. And we were out there forever. Like we both probably got sick because the conversation just got so rich. The unplanned, unofficial part of the meeting got so rich, and we were able to open up about things that we needed to talk about, and it was so helpful and so encouraging to me, to my soul, and it wasn't official, and I think we need space for that. We need space for that. We have to open up, You know, and and have our church picnic and have our anniversary barbecue, but we don't need anything during the week this summer. I feel like we're not supposed to. I feel like we're supposed to do things with each other, and we have a creative way in which we're going to be able to have a way of showing each other what we're doing in the summer and invite other people into it, but it's unofficial because there's a rest that comes when we get together when we don't have to. There's an enjoyment that we cultivate when we get together and we don't have to. And I believe that there's chaotic noise that God wants to bring healing to that will happen when we get together because we want to, not because we have to. In 2014, I had an absolute tremendous shift in my life where I realized at the beginning of 2014, okay, there's no... Area. Now, again, we're all hearing this story in hindsight, but in the beginning of 2014, I'm saying, you've called me to pastor. There is absolutely not, there is no shred of a chance that this is going to happen anytime soon. So I need to decide what do I want to do for a living and do that thing for the rest of my life and only quit if a door to the ministry opens. And I was bitter, and I was angry, and I was frustrated. And I had this moment where the Holy Spirit told me, you're going to hear me say this for the rest of my life, because it's part of my story where the Holy Spirit said to me, you can enjoy work even if you don't enjoy your job. I've called you and anointed you to enjoy work even if you don't enjoy your job. And so I went and I found a field that I would be willing to work in. Uh, Apparently in the claims department of an insurance company, they pay you to argue. So I was like... Sign me up for that. That sounds like it. Like, you guys want me to argue with people? They're like, yeah, we need you to argue well. And I was like, great. And I'm, you're going to pay me. You're actually going to give me money to do this. And so in 2014, I make that transition. And I start to something, a new kind of enjoyment broke over me that particular year. And it wasn't the kind of enjoyment that comes when things work out. It was the kind of enjoyment that comes when the Holy Spirit breaks in. And he's enough for you. In the moment, in the chaos, other things start to get a little bit less because he's so much. And during that time, I had a conversation, and I I told them I was going to say this, with Carmen Walker, Stuart Walker's daughter, one of Stuart Walker's daughters. And we were in in the youth ministry. She was in the youth ministry. I was pastoring. And she comes up to me after this one particular night, and she says, Does God need anything? I said, No. No. She said okay. Did we always exist? No, no, he he spoke us into existence. So if he doesn't need anything and doesn't want anything, and we for a period of time didn't exist and if he was enough for himself in the trinity, she's like quoting me to me and I'm like wow, this girl's smart. She said, "Why did he create us then?" And this maybe is one of my lowest points in ministry ever. I told her that she was rude. See, laugh for a minute, but just be careful, because I'm gonna, I will flip the table for a minute here. So just understand, be careful as you laugh at me, because this is all of us, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I told her she was rude, I told her she's not under authority, and I told her to stop asking these kinds of questions. Why? Because I was like this lame guy at the pool. Do you want me to heal you? Lord, I have no one to pick me up and put me in the water when the water is stirred. Okay, that's not the question I just asked. I didn't say, how do you think you get healed? I said, do you want me to heal you? But there's a moment where God asks us a question, and we answer based on our system, not based on our relationship our brain has been placed into a system of thinking and we answer every question based on that system and we're often not answering the question that's being asked. As a matter of fact, with much of our theology as Christians over the years, we have defended a system more than we've loved people. We've defended a doctrine more than we've loved people. And when somebody asks a question that takes the train off the tracks of that system, we get mad at them. We get upset with them. Maybe we could bring it into the home. We have a way of parenting that's based on a system that's been wrought into us over generations after generations. And when our kids crack off that system, all of a sudden we're mad and it becomes violent and it becomes coercion and we try to yank them back. What they need is relationship. What they need is flexibility. What they need is us to be like Jesus and walk on the the wrong way for a while because Jesus isn't a part of any system. Do you want me to heal you? I have no one to put me in the water when the water is stirred is not the question Jesus asked. But we're stuck in systems. And the question is, why do, I, why do I bring that up? Why do I talk about the story that way? Because when it comes to enjoyment, we're all stuck in a system. For some of us, enjoyment means the presence of never having to work. For some of us, enjoyment is the life where I finally don't have to get up and go to work. For others, enjoyment is what happens when everything I'm working on is exactly the way I feel it should be, and then I can enjoy myself. Maybe simply put, in a much smaller example, for some of us, we can sit down in a messy, trashed house with stuff, the the sink filled with dishes, stuff everywhere, and we could be like, I enjoy myself. I never need to clean this house. I can enjoy myself. That's not great. But for other people, watch this. You can only sit down with your Bible if everything is organized. Wrong also. Is everybody just about wrong? Have I made almost all of us wrong? When Carmen asked me that question, God today gave me the answer to a question I was asked years ago. And the Holy Spirit said, I created you out of the overflow of my enjoyment. You're not the product of a thought I had. You are the product of the enjoyment I was already having. It turned into you. I didn't need you, but you exist because I'm already enjoying. You are the result. You're the offspring. You're the fruit of an enjoyment I already had. In other words, God's enjoyment looks like this room. We are what God's enjoyment looks like. We have to get in on that because we don't enjoy each other the way that God enjoys us. Watch this. Here's us again in the next part of this story. This is just a few more verses. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Bro, I have been laying on this thing for 38 years, and now I'm walking around with it, and that's what you're focusing on? Gets worse. Gets worse. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man who said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Like, we are really fixating on the wrong part of the story here. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn because Jesus doesn't seek for that kind of attention. Oh, my gosh. I just want, oh no. Carnival, move on. As there was a crowd in the place. <laughs> Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, I love that after he got healed, the first place he went was the temple. Jesus found him in the temple. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I really wish that verse was not in the Bible. I really wish it wasn't, but it is, so we have to wrestle with it. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, The lame man could not enjoy himself until work was done. I need work to be done. I need someone to get me. I need someone to bring me. I need the waters to be stirred. I need my job to be going well. I need my house to be clean. I need my employees to be right. I need my kids to be behaving. He, he has this whole list. I cannot enjoy my life until these things happen. And the Pharisees were the exact, the exact opposite. We can't enjoy anything until we rest. So one was saying, I can't enjoy my life until the right work is done. And the other group was saying, we can't enjoy anything until the right rest is done. And here's Jesus at a feast on the Sabbath, both working and healing and enjoying all at the same time. There's something in him that works and enjoys, that heals and rests at the same time. He's the God who's asleep in a storm. He's resting when work needs to be done, and then he's resting while he works, and then he's resting after he works, and then he's resting when he gets up to work again because rest is not the absence of work. Rest is the reality that your work doesn't define you. Rest is when our work is really our thanksgiving and our worship expression, not our desire to complete and resolve things. That's what work is. Rest happens when enjoyment comes before work So it flows into it and after work as thanksgiving for it. So we're calling this series for a long time Summer Nights because sometimes in the middle of the week on a Tuesday, we have to come home. I know we all have different economic situations. I know we all have different schedules. I'm not pretending to be able to speak to everybody, but you have to interpret this for you. But there's a point where you have to come home from work when you're the minute you get home, you have to start getting ready for the next day. But somewhere in there, you have to have a space where you Sabbath, even if it's for 10 minutes, and look at a cloud, look at a bird, look at the sunset, and thank him for who he is. Just thank him for who he is. Our soul and spirit believes in God better than our brain does. And sometimes we need to close that gap by cultivating gratitude. By cultivating gratitude. By not rushing from, from one form of work to the next form of work to the next form of work, but stopping somewhere in there, not getting something done so that we can thank him. Letting something slide because our lives are obviously too packed. So if we're going to take a few minutes to stop, something's not going to get done. Whatever the thing is that you refuse to let go of so that you can rest is very revealing of your heart. But that's going to be a sermon for a different time. This summer, but not today. That summer of 2014, I started to do something that I never thought would be cool or interesting to me. But I I, I had some friends that lived in Fishkill, and we would get together, and we would go for about a 35, 40-minute walk in the evenings through Fishkill. That doesn't sound exciting until something started to happen. I started to see this one particular house. Every time we go for the walk, I started to see this one particular house, and I started to think every time I walked by it, I wonder what's going on in that house, Maybe I'm the only creepo in the entire church, but sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm like, I wonder what is actually happening in that house right now. Like, is it cool? Is it not? What's going on in there? So for like weeks, I'd walk by it, and I'd be like, I wonder what's going on there. And this one time, we walked by it, my friend Brian and I, we walked by it, and somebody was sitting outside. So I do... The thing that I thought I would never do as a neighbor, and you just yell hello and then say what's happening, that it makes no sense. You're like, hey neighbor, drizzling a little bit. You just, you always look at your neighbor and tell them what they're doing. Hey neighbor, sitting outside? (laughs) How'd you guess? (laughs) Washing your car? You got me. Like, this is what we do. So we say hello, we end up going over there, we start talking, introducing ourselves, and all of a sudden he's like, I gotta show you something. You wanna come in? I'm like, I have been waiting for this day <laughs> for my entire life. Sir, I have been walking by your house, but no, maybe don't say that. Okay, I'm just kidding. I haven't been, I haven't been, I haven't been. Brings us inside. Really long and funny story short. He years ago, fifty plus years ago, used to create maps of the Hudson Valley. And he brings us into this room and he shows us, he's he's a map collector. I don't even know what the word for that is, but he collects maps and he shows us thousands of maps of like all kinds of different things. And it was, we had the best conversation. I'm like, this is, this is better than what I expected. This is what the Bible says. Man has not seen. I didn't know I was going to be looking at maps from like 15 something. This is incredible. And then his wife came down and was like, hey, tell these people to get out of here. I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? And he, she storms up the stairs, and he's like, you guys got to go. I'm like, yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like we should probably leave now. It was the most, it was absolutely perfect. Like, everything you, there was, there was love and drama in the house, which made me feel so much better about my life. Like, all of it was so good. And it happened because for brief amounts of time, we took away expectation, just went for a walk in the evening, in between having to get stuff, even in between getting stuff done and having to get stuff done again, we went for a walk. And just saw the simple things and engaged the simple things, and you realize there's depth behind things. It doesn't cost any money to go for a walk. I don't care how much you have or how much you don't have, we can all go for a walk and we can all greet a neighbor and we could all learn something about them, and it could become enjoyable. It can become enjoyable. There's something to be said about being able to calm the chaos in our brain and enjoy work before work, and then enjoy work after work, and then maybe when those two things are happening well, we'll begin to enjoy work at work. But we have to hit the brakes, even if it's busy, even if it's crazy, even if you work weird hours. Maybe your evening is 9 a.m. because that's when you get home from work. There has to be a point where we slow down and stop. Some of us will have the freedom to do it for a long time. Some of us will only have the freedom to do it for a little bit of time. But we have to slow down and we have to enjoy. And we're going to realize for some of us that's not easy because I have things going on inside me that are tearing me up and I complain about my job because I'm actually projecting onto my job pain that's coming from other areas that I don't feel like dealing with. So I complain about things that won't complain back because my real hurts are coming from somewhere else. You start to realize that stuff when you try to enjoy yourself. And then we start thinking the enemy's attacking. He's not attacking. Jesus is just taking down the walls of Jericho one brick at a time. When we finally slow down, he's just taking one brick off at a time because that's all we can handle. And slowly we're learning about ourselves, And slowly real enjoyment starts to creep in, the kind of enjoyment that can outlast Trial the kind of enjoyment that can outlast tragedy, the kind of enjoyment that can outlast dysfunction. All of a sudden, we start to get rid of of an enjoyment of a superficial kind, and we start to become a person who enjoys on a much more eternal, longer-lasting. But that discipline has to start. We have to become a church that can have fun, that can enjoy ourselves in the middle of craziness. Be tired and still enjoy yourself. I'm going to keep going. There's more to say. Sabbath enjoyment is enjoyment rooted in God's enjoyment of himself and others. God being a Trinitarian being is the only being that can enjoy himself and have it not be arrogant because he's three in one. He's three in one. God enjoys the son. The son knows that he's the beloved of the father and the spirit is what allows the father and the son to mutually enjoy each other in a giving way. So the Trinity is a community of enjoyment, and so Sabbath enjoyment is enjoyment not rooted in not having to work, not rooted in having our dream job, not rooted in everything being clean, not rooted in everything we're finally ahead in life, not rooted in any of that stuff. It's rooted in a being that exists in the chaos of that stuff. Sabbath enjoyment is the kind of enjoyment where you're anchoring into a God who exists in chaos. So when you're with him in chaos, you can have the same enjoyment that you could if everything was calm. Because he's always that God. Here's a way that we can see it. When we look at the Ten Commandments, I'm going to list them in a very specific way. This is how they appear In Exodus and Deuteronomy, and I've put some things in parentheses. Have no other God before me. That's our relation to God. Don't make graven images. That's our relation to God. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's our relation to God. Now watch this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Everything changes now in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. That has to do with our neighbor. Don't murder that has to do with our neighbor. Don't commit adultery, that has to do with our neighbor. Don't steal, that has to do with our neighbor. Don't bear false witness, that has to do with our neighbor. Don't covet, that has to do with our neighbor. All of a sudden, the first three commandments are all about us and God. And then there's this command to rest. And then after that, comes all these commands about how we relate to each other. You see that? This means that the Sabbath command looks up, and looks down at all the other commandments. And the Sabbath command looks at the first three and says, you need to take rest by yourself with God. It looks up. The fourth commandment looks up at the first three and says, you need time with just God to enjoy God's enjoyment of himself. That's how we don't violate those first three commandments when we learn to get time alone with him and enjoy him. But then the Sabbath looks down and it says, now that you've had time alone with God, now you need time with your neighbor and you need to begin to enjoy God's enjoyment of the person and the people that are around you. So that's why it's situated in the middle. The first three commandments, Sabbath says get alone with God so that you don't put anyone in front of him, that you don't misuse his name, that you don't turn something of creation into God. Get time away with him. Let him romance you. Let him woo you. Let him pull you places and into situations that you never thought before. Let him show you things in the Bible that you don't talk to other people about. Pray about things that you don't talk to other people about. Let him reveal himself to you in ways that you don't tell other people he's revealing to you. Have a relationship with him that is you and him, and enjoy him, and learn that he enjoys you. You're the product of his enjoyment. And then when that is getting full, you look down at the other commandments and you say, how do I not murder? You learn to enjoy people. How do I not steal from people? You learn to enjoy people. How do I not covet? You learn to enjoy people. See, a world without Sabbath is a world where productivity is king. Think about it. A world without Sabbath is a world where productivity is king. And in a world where productivity is king, the most productive people are the ones who have the most friends. The most productive people are the ones that get along better in life than anybody else. And those who aren't productive, and it gets even worse. In a world where I don't rest, those of you who are most productive for me, I'll like better. Am I And like in an echo chamber, I'm amening myself in my head. I want you to understand, when we don't rest, we are all about productivity. And when we're all about productivity, we are the kinds of people who say, I'm going to get closest to the people who I think are the most productive for the things that I want to be productive about. And you know what happens? We start looking at the mat that people have been laying on more than the legs that just got healed. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. Somebody... In one season in life, it's just horrible to you. They're they're nasty. Not, Not the kind of like irreparable, horrible, just they're jerks. They're jerks for a little while at work. They're just a jerk to you for a while. And that taste stays in your mouth for a little bit. And now every time you see them, even when things in their life are getting better, you see their betterment through the lens of them being a jerk to you. Hey, I got promoted. Yeah, I know why you got promoted. Because you flatter people and you talk about other people behind their back. That's why you got promoted. We start to do that. We can't enjoy... The, the, the sanctification of other people when all we see is they're met. And we start to degrade their sanctification and uplift their carnality and wonder why the people around us aren't growing. Watch this. Gosh. Watch this. Listen, I'm going to come to this altar call myself. I'll be up here by myself. The first time that the Sabbath is told us, is spoken of in the Bible, God says in Exodus, he says, honor the Sabbath for on it, the Lord rested. The first time it's spoken of, it's spoken of this way. Honor the Sabbath tells everybody to rest and he says, because on the seventh day, God rested. So the first time we're told to Sabbath, we're told to Sabbath because God rests. But then in Deuteronomy, I want to read this. In Deuteronomy chapter five, it says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any everyone stops or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you, But he doesn't say now why the same way he did in Exodus. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty arm. In Exodus, you rest because I rested on the seventh day. That tells us that God is not a God of endless productivity. He's a God who's willing to stop being productive so he can take a breath. But the second time he talks about the Sabbath, he doesn't mention the seventh day. He says, rest, and when you rest, remember that you used to be slaves in Egypt, and you were being overworked. You were told to make bricks without straw, and I delivered you. So the first reason we rest is to enjoy God's rest. The second reason we rest is to enjoy the fact that all of us were once slaves to sin, and now we aren't anymore. So we rest for two reasons, one, to enjoy God, and two, to enjoy each other. A world without rest is a world that still sees people as slaves to sin. We rest on the Sabbath to look at others and see their deliverance, to look at others and see what God has done in their life, not what they've done in their life, but what God is doing in their life. And we learn to enjoy each other. Jesus tells the lame man, go and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. This verse bothers me. There's two things that bother me about this story. Number one, it bothers me that Jesus healed that guy and then left. It bothers me, and I hope you learn to read the Bible this way. It bothers me that we celebrate the fact that Jesus healed this one guy and left every other sick person at the pool. Take up your mat and go home. And then it says, says Jesus left. If you're like guy two, you're like, um, I would have actually answered your question the right way if you asked me. Yes, I want you to heal me, but apparently you didn't ask me, so I'll just continue to lie here for a little while. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? And then the guy gets healed, and Jesus says, oh my gosh, you got healed, and then you went right into the temple, so go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you, and he's like... That's You're like raining on the best day of my life here, Jesus. Like you heal me and then you criticize me for sinning. The question is, what was the guy doing? Oh, I've read about this a lot this week. And one obscure comment got my attention. This guy was in a system. And the system was, I will get better when somebody does something for me. And now he's healed. And Jesus is saying that mentality has to stop now. Now you go and you be the pool for everybody else who can't get into it. Don't bring them to the pool. Be the pool. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He becomes the lame man himself. And unlike the lame man we read about in the story, Jesus starts praying for all the other lame people that exist. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus isn't up there saying, get me into the pool. He's saying, Father, if I stay up here long enough, will you get all of them into the pool? And Jesus becomes the pool. What does this have to do with summer nights? This has everything to do with summer nights if we live either lazy lives where we all we want to do is not work or we live obsessive functional lives where we're only happy if everything at work is going well if we're in one of those two extremes we won't be able to enjoy God or each other and we won't be shining the Christian light on the world we live in we will be judging people based on their productivity and nothing else We'll be judging people based on how they treat us and nothing else. We'll be judging people based on the biases and the systems that we're living in. We'll be defending systems and we won't be having relationship. But when we can learn to stop and rest this summer, sit outside in the evening, have somebody come over, make some lemonade and sit outside and enjoy yourself. Take a deep breath. Tell them, I can only come over, inviting you over, just come over for a half hour. Doesn't need to be that person who never leaves your house when you want them to. You know, like when you start shifting and you start actually talking about tomorrow and they won't leave, you're like, man, we got a long day tomorrow, it's Saturday, I gotta preach tomorrow, and they're still there? How are you still here? My great-grandfather used to say, honey, we should go to bed, it looks like these people wanna get home. Genius. The man was a genius. Had no friends, but he was a genius. We have to be a church that enjoys God. You need time with God. He needs to speak into your life. Every one of you right now, every one of you, you have things in your life that are on the back burner, but they're the most important and you've put them on the back burner because you know that they're going to be there for a while, and so you start catering to all the things that you can knock out right now in your life, but there's stuff that God wants to speak to you about. And that story of Elijah, he doesn't want to talk to you in the earthquake. He doesn't want to talk to you in the fire. He wants to talk to you in that tiny breeze to get quiet, to calm your life, and be alone with him, and let him enter in on some things that are causing consternation in you that you don't even know. We act like we know what's causing us stress. All we see is the first, when we think of our stress, we see the first thing and say that's what's causing it. But 85 things behind that, that only the Holy Spirit knows something has gone wrong. And he wants to talk to you about that. But it has to happen in quiet. My, my wife was reminding me, you know, we got a lot of single mothers who can't just It's illegal for them to put their kids to bed and then go outside and go for a walk. You can't do that sort of thing. Maybe a bunch of you have to get together for five hours with all your kids and one of you every 30 minutes gets to go be by themselves. Let's figure this out, Salem. Some of us have the means to get quiet. Some of us, our lives out of necessity are wall-to-wall busy. Let's notice each other. Let's help each other get into play. That's why we're releasing midweek stuff for this whole summer. As soon as LTG groups are done, nothing happens again until the end of September midweek. And honestly, it scares me because there's a part of me that's very controlling and thinks that we need to have control, we need to have rhythm, otherwise it's going to fall apart. But I really believe that those of us who take some freedom first, we need to just go off and be by ourselves with God. And I want to give you that space to go off and be by yourself with God and hear from him. And then get around people. But get around them from that time that you had with God by yourself. Be filled with that time. And then get around people and commit to enjoying them because God enjoys them. You don't have to like them. They could annoy you the whole time. You might not have a good time. Watch this. I'm going to confuse you. You might not enjoy them, but you can enjoy God's enjoyment of them because he enjoys everyone. He sits with tax collectors and sinners. Let me just whiz a political comment off the back of the wall real fast. The greatest, most influential, number one tax collector in our country at at any given time is the President of the United States, present, past, and future, whoever is holding that office is the number one tax collector. And Jesus sits with tax collectors and sinners. Well, why would you bring that up when you were making such a good point about enjoying yourself? (laughs) Here's why. How many of us, let's be honest, I'm going to put my hand up, have dissed the president out loud, but we cover it by saying I pray for him? Okay? Okay? Diss him out loud or cleverly diss him where it doesn't really sound like you are so that you can, like, if somebody calls you out on you, you're like, no, 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 I was just saying, I, I was thinking about the good of the country. So we say stuff like that. But here's the reality. Listen, Then there's a reason for this. Do we talk about the president, past, present, and future, like we pray for him? See, when I start praying for people, I start to see them different. The closest person to me in my life is my wife, and she can know the way I talk about somebody is indicative of whether or not I pray for them. Because when I'm constantly praying for somebody, the compassion level rises and the analytical level goes down. The empathy goes up and the assessment goes down. Because what happens when you pray for somebody, you start to see them and yourself in the light of God's grace. It's really hard to criticize somebody at that point. He enjoys tax collectors and sinners. Let's be the church that enjoys people that everyone else doesn't enjoy. And here's the thing I don't want that to be a punchline. I want us to do that this summer, and it starts here. We have to enjoy each other here. We need to learn to be the pool. We need to learn to be the pool that people can get into and be healed. We need to learn to be the people who will carry people to the pool. We need to realize that Jesus is the pool. We need to realize that Jesus is the space between where our mat is and where the pool is. He's everything. He's all in all. And we are the bearers of that presence. If we're not, who is? If we can't enjoy each other in the midst of a storm, who else can? Our God is the God of rest. Our God is the God who was productive for six days, and then shows us how to not be productive for a day. So he's also the God that's not productive. And we need that too. We have to be able to rest alone and get a word from him. But we also have to be able to rest in each other's presence and enjoy each other. Summer nights, this summer, We want to be a church, and we are going to find every creative way. We have a few ideas. We're working with each other to to come up with a few ways that we can help each other see what everyone else is doing and maybe join. Somebody's going on a hike. We want to find a way that they can maybe post that, and other people can call them and say, hey, when are you going on the hike? I want to go on the hike with you or something along those lines. We want to find ways where we can get together with each other and experience the rest of God together. As Randall Worley says, when you rest in God, you get the rest of God. There's a part of him that we're missing, and when we rest in him, we get the rest of him. There's a part of God that's waiting for us to shut up right now. There's revelation of him that only comes when we're quiet. And let me tell you something, when you take that time, there will be something that you're not getting done it's okay. We'll learn how to reorganize our lives with a rhythm of rest in it. We'll learn how to do it together. We will learn how to do this together. But I want to have dreams by the end of the summer where I'm in a room, and it's orderly and not loud and chaotic. Let's stand to our feet this morning. The most agonizing part of preaching is realizing that you can't say something well enough. And the agonizing part of hearing a message is realizing you won't hear it all. So let's just pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, you know you know who's in this room. You know you know that there's people in the room right now, Father God, that are overworked. Whether it's their own doing, or whether it's the circumstances of their life and it's necessary, you know that there's people in this room right now, Father God, who are overworked physically, physically overworked. Too many hours, not enough pay, exhausted. Holy Spirit, I pray that you lean in. Teach them to find rest. Teach them about the loaves and the fish doesn't have to be a full day. It could be five minutes, but five minutes could unlock a rest that lasts the rest of the day. Help us heal from being overworked. Help our lives have the space in them where we won't feel overworked, Father God. To meet with you when we feel like the Israelites felt in Egypt or the quota is going up, but the means of getting it done is going down whether that's our employment or our parenting or our relationships or our marriages or our personal lives or the way we feel when we're alone, whatever it is, Father God, where there's so much work and there's not enough means to get it done, not enough hours, not enough emotional strength, not enough mental dexterity to get it done. Holy Spirit, hover over that person. And I pray that this summer will be a summer of healing. It'll be a summer of refreshing. It'll be a summer where somebody finally takes a breath back in, and they're not only exhaling, but they're breathing back in oxygen again. I pray for those who have become so discouraged with work that they've stopped caring on the job. They've stopped caring in relationships. They've stopped caring in parenting they stopped caring about a social network. They don't work anymore because life has been discouraging and life has yielded nothing but disappointment. Holy Spirit, stand in front of that person and breathe into them the breath of life. I pray that this summer would be a summer where they start to see value in the mundane again, where they start to experience your romance and the boredom of everyday life, where loneliness turns into an opportunity, where people are provided and brought into that loneliness, real and meaningful relationships, not always the ones we want, but the ones that are going to be right for us. Lord, I pray that you give this room reach this summer, that we would not hear a message like this and leave saying, that was good, but we would hear this message go out and we would leave saying, what do I do next? I pray that there would be more people in our homes this summer than any other summer, that we would leave our homes and go to other people's homes more this summer than we have any other summer. I pray that we would start to see things like rain showers, sunsets, and thunderstorms as moments where you speak to us, as moments to just pause and be amazed God, we could have all the money in the world or be broke, but we could still appreciate a beautiful sunset. We could still walk down to a riverfront and listen to the sound of the water hit the shore. We could bring a chair into a park and sit under a tree and read a book. And when we start to wish we could do it more often, I pray that you would teach us how to appreciate what is available to us and not covet. Because you will give as much in somebody's 10 minutes as you will in somebody's 10 hours if that's what's available to us. I pray for those who have the means to orchestrate their own time, to to have flexibility with their time, I pray that they would realize to whom much is given, much is required, and they would lean into the lives of people who don't have a lot of time and help them create space this summer. Lord, I do lift up the single moms in the room. The single parents in the room. Where life can sometimes feel like a prison because there's no way to get time alone. So many times your word says, Father God, that when they were on their way, Jesus stopped and said, and so I pray that even if there's somebody here who literally cannot stop while they're on their way, chore to chore, to-do list to to to-do list, that there would be moments, Jesus, where you stop when they can't stop and you turn around when they can't turn around and you speak a word to them in their work, in their labor, that brings rest on the inside where their soul will calm down more than their schedule, where their brain will rest more than their body. I pray for those of us in the room who need emotional, mental, soul-level healing, that that healing wouldn't always come from doing, but it would also come from stopping. that the weight of your silence would heal, that we would reach out and touch the hem of your silence. We would reach out and touch the hem of your rest, that we would feel the seventh day on day one and two and three and four and five and six. Because you are the Sabbath. Holy Spirit, as we get ready to come to your table, I pray as we as we walk from our chairs to this table, every eye closed. If you're here, I just want to pray for you. We're not going to ask anybody to do anything crazy. If you're here, and when we at the beginning of the service talked about people whose... Minds cannot get quiet, even if your body settles down. With every eye closed, could you just raise your hand if that's you? There's enough of us. Why don't you come to the altar? If you just raise your hand, why don't you come to the altar for a minute? deacons, elders in the room I'm sorry if you just grabbed the elements we're going to come to the table a little different if you could put them down and just get around people if you're here and you feel mentally clear, if you're here and you feel emotionally healthy, could you could you get out of your seat now and just lay hands on somebody I don't want this to be the kind of church where the pastor walks around and lays hands on everybody, we are the body of Christ, we can, we can lay hands on each other and have the same thing happen there's no experts in the room there's only vessels, amen There's no experts in this room. There's only vessels. There's only honesty. Holy Spirit, I pray that there would truly be a voice in the heart and the mind of your people who were honest that would say, Peace, be still. that the voices of assessment, the voice that starts out with how am I doing and ends with condemnation would just quiet down. And the voice that says you are my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased will rise. Lord Jesus, I pray that what will happen at this altar will not be an immediate healing but the motivation to start to walk down a new road of rest and work rhythm and silence so many of us should be playing a symphony with our, with our weeks and instead we're stuck playing one note over and over and over and over again and we're getting tired of playing that one note we're stuck in a system We need to hear the other notes, and I pray that this church would be the notes that we need to hear, that there's the note that our life plays, but God, I need about five or six other people to come into my life so that note could be a symphony. And so I pray that everyone who came up for prayer would be vulnerable enough to let people into their lives, especially people from from this community. Sit on a chair outside this summer in the evening in that space of every summer in between evening and nighttime that just feels, makes us feel young again. And there would be conversation that happens all summer long. That we would get together and break bread together, listen to music together, laugh together, cry together, pray together remember each other when we're at work. I pray that the good times in the evening will will be our motivation for the day, the next day. Quiet our souls if they're chaotic, Father God. I pray that everyone who came up for prayer, for this particular prayer, would remember the phrase, reach out and touch the hem of my silence. That's a word for this house for right now. Reach out, push through the crowd of noise and touch the hem of his silence. God, I pray even if it's only for five minutes, I pray that the silence would be pregnant with life, with peace, with conviction, with your spirit that it would multiply like the loaves in the fish, and it would feed not just the person who's hearing your silence, but it would feed all of those they'll come into contact with, that we would be people that don't sound like a one-man band every time we show up someplace, but our soul is quieted. We can discern thought to thought, feeling to feeling, emotion to emotion, that it won't always feel like a jumbled mess, but we'd be able to surgically understand what's happening in our own bodies. Please understand that whenever emotional healing begins to take place, there will be a vomit. And it will feel like you're getting sick again, but you're not, you're getting better. But you're gonna need people around you to walk through that time. I'm talking to somebody who, if you know that God has you on the precipice of an emotional healing, there will be a time of vomit. You're not digressing, you're not backsliding, you're not getting worse. It's the toxins are coming out, but you need people. You need people from this community around you to help you work through that. But you're not getting worse. There's just stuff that needs to come out. Heavenly Father, I look forward to this summer. I look forward to preaching this summer. There's so much you want to say, but this is enough for today. I pray that we would be able to eat and digest this. I pray for every LTG group that's going to be discussing this, that, that those who weren't present would, would hear a summary or a retelling of this that is right and good for them, and that there would be conversations that would just be our teeth just, just crunching over what's been talked about today. And I pray that this turns into our fuel for the rest of the summer. I pray that this summer, the summer of 2019, will be a summer where we learn to play better, (laughs) which means a summer where we learn to work better, which means a summer where we learn to love better, which means a summer where we learn to be loved better. Holy Spirit, we know that you're in this room, and so we pray that you descend on these elements, this bread and this cup. Turn this broken, mundane meal into the body and blood of Jesus. And in the same way, fall on all of these people. If you could fall on broken bread, you could fall on broken people. If you could fall on juice that's been spilled, you could fall on lives that feel spilled. Turn it. Turn us into the presence of God, the body of Christ for the world that we're about to leave here and go into. I pray that everywhere we go will be better because we had this experience today. In your holy, precious, amazing name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.